the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Jesus claimed to be God. You don't get to make up your mind about him. You don't get to make up the Jesus you like. Of course, there's love and there's grace and there's mercy, but there's holiness. You're either for him or you're against him. My friend, I hope God gives you clarity and helps you to see who Jesus is. Many people still ask, who is Jesus? And they wonder if he's really the only way to God and why. These are legitimate questions answered by Jesus himself in the Gospels and prophesied in the Old Testament. And today on Know the Truth, our teacher Philip DeCourcy takes us to Mark chapter 8 to reveal the claims Jesus made about his deity and his mission on earth as Savior. We're dealing with life's most important question right here on Know the Truth. Here's Philip. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8 and verse 27 through 33. We're in a series on Mark's gospel called The Essential Jesus. We're going to look at the subject, life's most important question, because this is a passage in Mark's gospel that's focused on the question, who is Jesus? I mean, that's a question we've all got to ask ourselves. Who is Jesus? Was he a mere man? And kind of His legend has grown with the passing of time, and he's become this larger-than-life figure. Was he a deluded religious figure that pushed the buttons of the religious establishment to the point where he basically invited his own crucifixion? Was he the Son of God? That's what the Bible argues. He wasn't a mere man. He wasn't a misguided figure. He was God in human form by means of a supernatural birth. He did miracles. He spoke like nobody else spoke. He died on a cross voluntarily. He wasn't caught up in some kind of messianic plot. He died willingly. He purposely died on the cross to bear our sin as the mediator between God and man. He was buried. He conquered death. He rose again. He's at the right hand of God. He enters the lives of those that will trust him by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He transforms people to this day. He's a living figure. He's not someone who belongs to the past, but the future belongs to him. Big issue. Who is Jesus? This is life's greatest question, because if Jesus is who the Bible says he is, in fact, Colossians 1 verses 16 and 17 tells us that he created all things. 
By him all things were created, and all things hold together because of him. If that's true, then if you're going to know anything, you need to know it in relation to the one who made everything. That's why who is Jesus can't be just taken and left on the shelf. I'll come back to that, or I'll ignore that. You can't ignore the Lord Jesus. His footprint is all over history. You've got to make your mind up. Who was he? You going to settle for a man? Are you going to settle for an out-of-the-ordinary religious entity? Or are you going to settle for he's God in human flesh, demonstrating God's love for a broken and a rebellious planet? Who is Jesus? Life's greatest question. And he's life's greatest question because of what he claimed. And he's life's greatest question because, according to him, he's the arbitrator of your future. Your view of him will determine God's view of you in the next life. What does God say according to the Bible? This is my son. Hear him. If you're going to ignore God's son, be sure God's going to ignore you in the next life. There's heaven or hell. Jesus is the decider. Who is Jesus? Life's most important question. Hopefully I've made the case for that. So let's come to a passage that addresses it as we read Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of man." I'm not one for jigsaw puzzles. Maybe you are. They just take too much time. The results unfold way too slow for me. Uh, I've got to find some other pastime. But if it's your thing, I'm sure you enjoy it. I've dabbled in it once in a while. I remember in the early days when I was attempting my first few jigsaw puzzles, my mother would encourage me, always keep your eye on the lid of the box. It'll tell you what you're trying to put together. So you've got the big picture as you move to all these little pieces. And then she'd say, Philip, you always need to start with the outside pieces, the edges. And so the first thing you do is create that kind of picture frame or that rectangle. And then you start to work in to the centerpieces, and the picture begins to emerge. Donald English, commenting on the verses we just read, says this, With all the other pieces of the puzzle now set out, Mark moves the story inexorably towards Jerusalem or the centerpieces to be put in place. So he's taking the idea of a puzzle. It's the puzzle concerning Jesus. Who is he? And so far, Mark has kind of outlined who he is. He has shown us that he is indeed the Messiah. We have identified him by his words and by his miracles. We have seen him cast out evil spirits. We have seen Jesus heal the sick miraculously. We have seen his claim to be able to forgive sins, which is an authority and an ability that belongs to God alone. So we've kind of got the outside pieces. And now, in Mark's 
gospel here in chapter 8, he's beginning to move towards the center because Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33, is a tipping point, a turning point in the story because the verses and the chapters up to this point have helped us to identify Christ, his uniqueness. But when we move beyond this point, we're going to focus more on his impending death, his crucifixion. In fact, here, Jesus will say to his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the Jewish leaders, be killed, and on the third day rise. We're coming to the heart of the gospel, which is that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and on the third day he rose again. And so the outline's there, and Mark now is beginning to move the centerpieces, Jerusalem, the impending death of the Lord Jesus, because that's what he came to do. His life is fascinating. His words, his miracles simply tell us that the one who died upon the cross was no mere man. This was God as a man reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ. In fact, here's a way to understand the importance of the passage we're looking at. If you go to Mark 10, verse 45, that's the pivotal verse of Mark's gospel, where Mark says, Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Up to this point, we see Jesus serving. From this point on, we're going to see him give his life a ransom for many. You can stretch Mark 10, verse 45, all over this gospel. So, this is a pivotal passage. Just understand this is a tipping point, a turning point in the gospel of Mark. So let's come and look at these verses. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want us to see is what I'm calling the confusion. There's a lot of confusion regarding the Lord Jesus, his identity, who he was. Look at verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? And look, we get all kinds of opinions. There's all kinds of confusion and controversy regarding the identity of the Lord Jesus. He's John the Baptist. He's Elijah. He's one of the prophets. Now, we're moving 25 miles north of Bethsaida, where we were. We're going into the region of Caesarea Philippi. That's a place at the base of Mount Hermon. It's to be distinguished from the city of Caesarea. You'll find on the Mediterranean coast, and maybe you visited that when you visited Israel. Jesus is traveling, and as he travels, he talks. You know, every family can identify with that. When we lived in Ohio, we used to love our summer trips down to Florida. We usually headed down to Sarasota and other places, Fort Myers and, and those areas. And on the way down through Ohio and Kentucky and Tennessee and Georgia, there was a lot of miles and a lot of talking. And those were good. You know, the girls are up now and there's, uh, everybody's headed in all kinds of directions. But I treasure those times in our little kind of Dodge Voyager on the way down, 10 hours, just talking about life and Christ, and the Bible, and boys, and everything. And you do that. When you travel, you talk. Or I hope you do, and treasure those times, and that's what's happening here. And so Jesus is traveling. Jesus is talking. He says, hey guys, what's the scoop? What's the word on the street? What's the scuttlebug regarding my identity? What's the prevailing opinion? Who do men say that I am? They go, hey, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, why would they say that? Because back in Mark 6, with a conscience awakened by the guilt of what he had done to John the Baptist, Herod hears of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And back in Mark 6, we read that Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life. 
And that kind of got out into the water and people, hey, you know, some people are saying, Herod's saying that he's John the Baptist. That was an opinion. Some say you're their prophet Elijah. If you go to Malachi 4 and verse 5, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, which will usher in the kingdom, it says the prophet Elijah will come. And given the messianic fervor that's taking hold, given the fact that Jesus didn't allow the crowd to take him and make him king, they've got questions as well as to whether he's the Messiah. So they've concluded, hey, maybe he's Elijah, preparing the way of the Lord, preparing for the kingdom and for the king. Well, again, they're wrong because that was John the Baptist. He was a kind of Elijah figure. But some have concluded, no, he's Elijah. And then others go, no, he's, he's one of the prophets. Look, despite the many sermons and the many signs, aren't we surprised to some degree here to find that confusion reigns? That there's a diversity of opinion on the Lord Jesus Christ? Some are willing to say, hey, he's a man of God. He's a prophet. Yes, but Messiah, no. We wouldn't go that far. Because you see, by this stage, the image that the Jewish mind has of the Messiah is a conquering hero. The kingdom that was promised in the Old Testament, the Davidic king who would come and establish his throne forever, and Israel would be elevated among the nations. Well, by this stage, that messianic kingdom has kind of been reduced to a political entity, a political thing, and the Messiah is this warrior, this hero who's going to come and help take the Roman boot off the neck of the Jewish people. And frankly, Jesus isn't fitting the bill. In the Sermon on the Mount, good night. He said, that's love our enemies. He's talking about giving to Caesar. What's Judas Caesar? In fact, if you look at John the Baptist who prepared the way of the Lord, who was the forerunner and in a sense opened the door for the Lord Jesus, there comes a point in John's ministry, read about it in Matthew 11, where even questions, is Jesus the Messiah? Remember he gets arrested? So like, where's the deliverance? We're not being delivered. We're being delivered into prison, not delivered from oppression. And he asked Jesus through one of his disciples, are you the one? Because you're not looking like him. Loving our enemies, there's grace and mercy to go all around. Where's this conquering hero? Where's the son of man, Daniel 7, crushing the enemies of Israel? So that's kind of where we're at now. Can we do something with this? Can we make this applicable to our life and where you are on a Monday morning? Absolutely, because you live in a culture that's confused about the Lord Jesus, don't you? I mean, grab a conversation as you grab your Starbucks coffee in line. Poll your workmates. Maybe go out and do some evangelism through a survey and say, hey, can I ask you a question? Who is Jesus? You're going to get 101 answers. And I would say this, for the most part, people are still hesitant and resident to mock the Lord Jesus. There's a respect for him. His footprint is so large in life. His impact so good within history that people have a respect for him. But it's reserved. It's limited. It'll only go so far. And that's exactly what's happening here. I mean, there's respect for Jesus. He's a prophet. He's a John the Baptist, Elijah-like figure. But what's surprising? No speculation whatsoever regarding the fact that he could be the Messiah. They fall short. They come up short. He's a good man. He's a great man. But he's not the God man. He's not the promised one. And I think you'll find that. That's the case today. People have got all kinds of opinions. The militant atheist, the militant secularist might mock, 
And they tell us he's an urban legend. You know what? There was some figure, if this figure existed at all, and he got encased in religious folklore. You know, Jesus emerges within history in a time of ignorance. We've advanced. We've evolved. So let's just leave it there. If he lived at all, that's all he was. He was a victim of religious folklore, and we would even argue he didn't exist at all. The Jew might be willing to concede that, you know what? Jesus was a Jewish reformer, a kind of Donald Trump figure who was going to shake up the religious establishment because it had kind of grown inward. It had lost touch with the people. It was laying burdens on the people. So this Trump-like figure comes along, this religious reformer, and he shook Judaism up. We'll concede that. But don't talk to us about virgin births. Don't talk to us about the fact that he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifices and prophets, that he's after the order of Melchizedek, that he's a great high priest, that he's a sacrifice for sin. We're not going to go there. He's not Isaiah 53. The suffering servant in Isaiah 53 is Israel itself. Go to a Muslim, and they'll tell you, Jesus? We've got great respect for Jesus. We reverence Jesus. We extol his virtues and his life and his ministry. He was the great prophet. He was a spokesman for God. But again, don't talk about virgin birth. In fact, that is a blasphemy to us. And in some Muslim countries, if blasphemy laws are applied, you could lose your life for claiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, especially if you're a converted Muslim to Christianity. The liberal theologian, well... Jesus was a do-gooder. You know, he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. He was the son of a carpenter. He didn't have much in life. He had nowhere to lay his head. And he went about, you know, with a heart for the poor. He did good. He called for social reform. Jesus was a social justice advocate. He wanted to bring liberty to the prisoner, bring food to the poor. There's all kinds of opinions, isn't there, about Jesus? I'm just giving you a sample. I mean, if you did your own survey, if you talked to your friends, your neighbors, those of other religions, here's what you're getting. In fact, if you talk to someone that would have a Gnostic leaning or someone in perhaps the Eastern religions like Hinduism, they would say, Jesus, he was an enlightened mystic. He was an avatar. He was a conduit for enlightenment and helping us to see ourselves in a better light and to become what we ought to be. Now, Mormonism gets a little weird here. Jesus was the brother of Lucifer. He's Satan's brother. In fact, he is the product of a physical, sexual relationship between God, Jehovah, Yahweh, and Mary. And the Jehovah Witness would say, hey, you got John 1, 1 wrong. Jesus wasn't the creator of all things. Jesus wasn't the eternal word. Jesus was created himself. He's a creature. He's an exalted creature. In fact, we'll tell you who he is. He's Michael the archangel. Who do men say that I am? What's your opinion? Does it line up with Peter? He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. Does your opinion line up with Jesus' own revelation of himself? I am the Christ. I've come to suffer, and I've come to conquer death, because this is the gospel. Jesus died according to the Scriptures for our sin, and he rose again according to the Scriptures. That Jesus is the God-man. He's the name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved. He has come to offer his sinless life as a sacrifice for our sin so that a just God could remain just and yet make the unjust just. Or 
Is he a teacher to you, a man to you, a prophet to you, a mystic? See, these are the distortions that prevail. Because from the time of Jesus till now, men have been creating him in their own image. They do it to fit their culture. They do it to justify their lifestyles. They do it to give reason to their religious experiences. And I'll tell you why they do it. They do it to ignore the God-sized portrayal of Jesus in the Gospels. The virgin-born, sinless Son of God who died for our sins and whom God has exalted and every knee should bow and every tongue confess that He's Lord. The Jesus who is authoritative. The Jesus who will take every inch of your life and every key to every room in your life and will demand obedience and demand worship. The Jesus who says there's a broad road, and if you're on it, you're going to hell. There's a narrow road. If you're on it, you're going to heaven. It's the Jesus who said, you're either for me or against me. It's not the meek and mild Jesus. It's the mean and wild Jesus you'll find in the Gospels, for want of a better word. In fact, that's an idea I stole from Mark Galley, Christian author, who says, the problem is that we have a Jesus light image hearing only what we want to hear, having become deaf to the richer parts of the symphony of love. Galli says we have averted our gaze from the uncontrollable Christ of the Gospels in favor of a Sunday school flannel graph depicting a cartoonish lamb-cuddling softy. We hear the melody played by the strings but ignore the brass and the wind and especially the percussion sections. We don't notice the strong harmonies, the counterpoint, and the dissident chords. You see what he's saying? He's taking the image of music the image of an orchestra and the different parts that each of those sections of an orchestra play. And man typically tunes in to that part of the symphony of God's love that suits him. Jesus, gracious, loving, patient, mild. But they don't listen to the thunder of the wind section and the percussion section, where Jesus is God in human flesh. He gets to decide your future. You're either for him or you're against him. He's virgin-born. He's sinless. He claimed to be God. You don't get to make up your mind about him. You don't get to make up the Jesus you like. You don't get to listen only to one part of the symphony. Of course, there's love and there's grace and there's mercy, but there's holiness. There's unique claims. There's exclusive claims. There's the road that's broad, that's apart from him. And if you're on it, you're lost. There's a road that's narrow. And when you're with him, you'll find life. That's the confusion that reigns. It did then and it does now. My friend, I hope God gives you clarity and helps you to see who Jesus is. That's Philip Tecorsi here on Know the Truth, sharing a message called Life's Most Important Question. Today, Philip reminded us that our future depends on Jesus. And if you want to listen again or catch up on any message in the Essential Jesus series, go to ktt.org. Jesus told us who he is. He's God with us, Emmanuel, Almighty God, the Messiah. And as God incarnate, Jesus came to show us that he deeply loves us and he's intimately acquainted with all our human troubles. In fact, in an earlier message in the Essential Jesus series, Philip shared a message from Mark chapter 3 titled Handling the Pressure. It was such a well-received sermon that we've transcribed it as a study guide. In this booklet, Philip takes you through the pressures Jesus felt, describing how our Savior responded to the daily stress of life. It's a practical guide for handling pressures in your own life. When the pressure builds up, learn how to take some time out to pray and 
learn how to assess when you need to delegate responsibilities to lighten your heavy load. Request this booklet called Handling the Pressure by Philip DeCourcy. It's yours when you give to Know the Truth today. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. As a listener-supported ministry, it's your gifts that make possible the Bible teaching you hear every day on Know the Truth. So thank you for your generosity, and don't forget to request Handling the Pressure. Call us at 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also receive a free CD of the message called Handling the Pressure. It's a perfect companion to the booklet we're offering today, and it makes a great topical Bible study. Ask for the free CD when you call 888-644-8811. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow for more answers to the question, Who is Jesus? That's Wednesday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. townhall.com. The New York Times recently noted the death of prominent feminist Kate Millett, who died at 82. The obituary rightly points out that Millett's book, Sexual Politics, became known as the Bible of Feminism in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Her book, published in 1969, included her words, quote, patriarchy's chief institution is the family. It is both a mirror of and a connection with the larger society, a patriarchal unit within a patriarchal whole, end quote. What she was calling for was an overthrow of patriarchy, which would involve the complete overthrow of the family and marriage and the normativity of heterosexual relationships and the expectation of having children. In the end, Kate Millett died a very sad life. The passing of Kate Millett reminds us of how these kinds of ideas come into our culture and of the toxic effects that they often have. It also reminds us that any worldview that sees the having and raising of children as a burden rather than as a blessing cannot but end in sadness. I'm Albert Mowbray. Hey, this is Ron Moore with today's... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.